doing today? All right, good morning. Welcome to Good News. I'm Annie Provenza. I'm Victoria Putnam. We just have a few quick announcements, some things going on in the life of the church that we want to let you know about. Um, if you're new or visiting with us and the seat backs in front of you is a welcome card, please go ahead and fill that out. Let us know that you're here today um, and even how we could be praying for you. And ladies, we have been talking about this for a while now, and this next Saturday is the day our women's tea, and we are so excited. I just want to let you know, if you have not gotten a ticket, you do need to get a ticket for this event, because we have lovely hostesses that have been preparing their tables, but we want to put you at one of their tables. So if you have not gotten a ticket, Annie and I will be out in the lobby after the service, and you can get a ticket for the event. Also... Um, a bunch of people have said to me, well, I don't think I can go because it's Mother's Day and I don't have a mom or I don't have a daughter. But this is a women's tea. So sixth grade and up is invited. And a, most of the, well, not most of the people, maybe half of the people at least, <laughs> are not bringing their moms or their daughters. So this is for friends. This is for fellowship. We're going to have really lovely food. The hostesses are going to take you through kind of a tea room experience. It's going to be really lovely. We're going to have a speaker about joy. And if you just want to come to get together with other women and just fellowship and get to know people, please consider coming. It's going to be so much fun. You have to get your tickets by Tuesday. So just come out into the lobby, see us, ask us questions. We really hope to see you there. And with that, Pastor Dave. Well, good morning. I'm glad each of you are here this morning. My name is Dave, and I'm the campus pastor uh, here at our World Golf Village campus. And this was a great week. We saw this week six different people put their trust in Christ. And today's also a really special day because we have a family coming to join the church. And so we're excited to welcome, welcome Joe and Rita to the stage, if y'all would come up. Let me introduce you guys to Joe and uh, Rita Zawatsky. Glad you guys are here. Now you have shared your faith with me and it's my privilege now to give you the opportunity to profess your faith publicly and to join Good News Church. And then Rita, after y'all have professed your faith, I also have the joy of baptizing you this morning. So <clears throat> Joe and Rita, do you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving his wrath and hopeless without his mercy? And do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you trust him alone for salvation as he's offered in the gospel? And do you resolve and promise and humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will seek to live as followers of Christ should? And do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? And do you submit yourselves to the government and discipline of the church and promise to promote its purity and peace? Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you that you have, have called Joe and Rita to yourself, and thank you that you've made them a part of Good News Church. And I pray that, Lord, you would show them those gifts and abilities that you've given them by your Holy Spirit and that you would use those gifts and abilities 
for the glory of Jesus and to help others come to know and follow him too. Lord, thank you so much for, for the promise of eternal life that comes through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name I pray, amen. Now Jesus left a command to his church, and that command, if you'll hold this for me, Joe, that command was, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so Rita, today is a really special day in your life. Not only do you profess faith in Christ, but as you join Good News, we get to baptize you into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'm so glad to be a part of this special day in your life. So Rita, believer in Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for the gift of the water of baptism and what it pictures, our forgiveness of sin. And Jesus, thank you for the promised Holy Spirit that you have sealed Rita and the Holy Spirit and now you promise to fill her again and again and again. Lord, I pray that what's pictured in, your, in, in her baptism would be real in her heart by the work of your grace, Jesus. I pray in your name, amen. Thank you so much for letting, letting us be a part of y'all's special day. Thank you. So this morning, we uh, continue our study in the book of 1 Timothy. And, and this morning, we're coming to a passage in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And so I want to read the first two verses of 1 Timothy 6 to us, and let's give attention to it, because this is God's word, it's inspired, inerrant, infallible, it's sufficient, it's our only rule for faith and practice. All who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. Those who have believers as their masters must not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren, but must serve them all the more because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. Teach and preach these principles. Grass withers, the flower fades, the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the great deliverer. You are the one who's come to seek and to save that which was lost. You are the one who came to proclaim release for the captives. And so Jesus, I pray that you'd allow this passage to make sense to our hearts. And Lord, help this passage to make sense to the world in which we live today. Lord, I pray by your Holy Spirit, you'd be setting us free and helping us to live, joined to you by faith, we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. So my first job ever was at a restaurant in St. Petersburg called Munches. Munches has been around a long time. Munches Restaurant, 
And I started out at Munch's restaurant as a dishwasher. That was my first job. I lasted two days. <laughs> two days. My career in, uh, in the workforce, I didn't get off to a very good start. But you know, things have gotten much, much better since then. And when I became a believer in Jesus, things got dramatically better. I began to learn what it looks like to be a, a follower of Jesus, and that began to change the way I saw myself, and it began to change the way I saw work. And when we come to this passage, we're going to learn something very, very important about work, and that's this, that, that Monday is the Lord's Day too. Did you know that we spend about a third of our life at work? That over the course of your lifetime, you'll spend more than 90,000 hours at work? So do you think it would be important for us to understand what, what Jesus says in his word about work? If, if we're all in, able to work, and if we're all called to work, what does Jesus say about our work? And Jesus has a lot to say about work. Jesus says that Monday is the Lord's Day too. Many years ago, a man named Abram Kuyper gave a series of lectures at Princeton University's Seminary. And Abram Kuyper said in that lecture, those lectures at Princeton Seminary, he said that there is not one square inch of all the universe that Jesus Christ doesn't step on and say, this is mine. That everything in all the universe belongs to Jesus Christ. That there's not one thing in all the universe that Jesus doesn't say, that belongs to me. Does that include you? Does that include me? It does. And so we should understand what, what he has to say, not only on Sunday, but we should understand what he has to say on Monday, too, because Monday is the Lord's Day, too. We come to verse 1 of 1 Timothy 6, and, and we read these words, all who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard those their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. Now we come to this verse, and there are several other passages in the New Testament that describe the existence in the first century of slavery. Now you need to know that America didn't invent slavery, and you need to know that in, that in the ancient world, slavery was very, very common. In fact, there were more slaves in the Roman Empire than there were free persons. By some estimates, there were 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. And you say, well, Dave, why doesn't the Bible condemn such a horrible, dehumanizing, sinful practice? Well, the Bible was written by Christians. 
Christians were the smallest minority in all the Roman world. So there was a minority people writing to a minority people in a minority corner of the Roman Empire. And so the New Testament wasn't written by the powerful. It was written by the weak. It was written to minorities by minorities. And also another reason why the New Testament doesn't directly condemn the practice of slavery is because in the seed of the gospel, the destruction of the evil, wicked, dehumanizing practice of slavery was sown. The reason why slavery is now seen rightly in America as an evil, wicked, dehumanizing thing is because of the gospel, because of what was taught in the New Testament about people. By the, by the year 300, this little minority group of people had grown to the point that the Roman emperor gave Christianity a hearing and he believed in Jesus. You see, what was taught in Christianity was so revolutionary, it was so empowering to the weak and to the needy and to the hurting and to the poor and to the slave that the gospel ran through the minority peoples of the Roman world and so many people professed faith in Christ over the first three centuries that it became the religion of the Roman world. From a group of a few to the majority in three centuries. So the gospel, the gospel would set people free. The gospel would make it possible many, many years later, for brave men and women, abolitionists, who knew Jesus Christ to proclaim in the name of Jesus that slavery in our own country was a wicked, evil, dehumanizing practice that should no longer be practiced. So the seed of the gospel was let, led to the destruction of the institution of slavery. Now in verse 2, we read this, those who have, believe, have believers as their masters must not be disrespectful to them uh, because they are believers, but must serve them all the more because those partake of the benefits are believers and beloved teach and preach these principles. So how did the gospel transform and rid the Roman world of the practice of slavery. It did it not from the outside in and not from the top down. It did from the inside out and the bottom up. Because when people began to understand that Jesus is the Lord of Monday too, that Monday is the Lord's day too, it changed the way they related to one another. And over time, as free men, as as masters and slaves worship Jesus together on Sunday, the Lord's Day, and went, then went to the marketplace on Monday, 
and saw that Monday was the Lord's Day too. Eventually, they looked at one another and they said, this is dumb. We worship the Lord on, Mon on Sunday. We shouldn't have this relationship. And many masters then fully freed their slaves and they became free men, but they continued to live in their households, enjoying the community and life together. And in fact, Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, encourages those who find themselves as slaves to work for their freedom. Were you called while a slave? Don't worry about it. But if you are able also to become free, rather do that. So the, the gospel moved in, and when slave and master, both the served and the serving, both followed Jesus, many, many simply secured their freedom through this gospel that moved into their heart. And those who weren't able to secure their freedom, they found in Jesus Christ a purpose, a purpose big enough to give them hope in this life and in the next. And so, as we come to passages like 1 Timothy 6, and as we come to passages like 1 Corinthians 7, and we come to passages like Colossians 3, and we ask ourselves, how does this passage speak to us today? We can find the answer to that in this that we're all called to work, that work is good. Work is good because God is good and God works. Let me show you that in Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis 2, 2, we read this, the seventh day, by the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. So God is good and work is good because God works. So as we come to passages like this, we set aside any command to twist scripture into making it demand slavery. It does not prescribe slavery. And we apply the passage to our lives saying, this passage commands me to work because God works. Work is good. Now, if that's true, why is work so frustrating? Why is it so hard? Well, the answer is in this next chapter of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3, we learn that, that the first man and the first woman, they turned aside from following, Jesus, following God, and they went their own way. And when they did, it changed work. God said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread 
till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So work is good, but after the fall, work is hard. Do you agree? Do you agree that there's times in work that it's frustrating and difficult? The reason it's frustrating and difficult is that even though work is good, work is hard because of sin. And part of what Jesus Christ has come to do through his life and his death and his resurrection is restore to us our ability to pursue work on Mondays under his rule. So in Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, Paul says this, Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. It's the Lord that Monday is the Lord's day too. It's the Lord Christ whom you serve. So work is good. God works. But work is hard because of sin. And, but Jesus has come. And, and as we follow Jesus as Lord, he invites us to have a new relationship with work to say, Monday is the Lord's day too. And Monday is a day that I get to follow Jesus. It's the Lord Christ whom you serve. Now, how do we do it? Well, the action step for this week, the action step for this week is when, when the sun rises tomorrow morning, I want you to take Jesus to work with you tomorrow. Take Jesus to work with you. Now go back up to verse 1 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. And there is a, there is a phrase in this verse that is one of the most important teachings in all the Bible. Paul says, all who are under the yoke. And that phrase, under the yoke, if you'll listen to what I'm about to teach you about that phrase, it will change Monday. It'll change Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It'll change Sunday too. If you understand what it means to be under the yoke. I have a yoke with me. And uh, a good friend of mine found this yoke at the Betty, Betty, uh, Betty Griffin. Yes, okay. Betty Griffin. And uh, she thought I needed this because she had heard me teach on the passage that I'm about to teach you from. And she thought I needed a yoke. So I've carried this with me for several years now, waiting for just the right time to pull out my yoke. Now, to the best of my knowledge, no animals have ever been under the yoke of this decorative, beautiful piece of art. But it's a yoke, and you'll notice that it's designed for two animals to be placed in this yoke and to draw a cart or a farming uh, instrument together. 
Now turn to Matthew chapter 11, and let's read verses 28 and 29 and 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. My yoke, uh, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my load is light. So how do we take Jesus to work with us? Well, we take Jesus to work with us first by understanding the gospel and believing the gospel. And what does the gospel say? The gospel has bad news. And the bad news of the gospel is that we've all sinned against God. We've all turned to go our own way in rebellion against God and his ways. And Jesus says that the result of that sin, the result of going our own way, is that we're weary and heavy laden. And our, re our souls have no rest. See, the bad news of, of workaholism, the bad news of your exhaustion, the bad news of your burnout, the bad news of your weariness, is that sin has caused us to try to do life on our own. But Jesus says, don't live the self-directed life. You see, when you live the self-directed life, you direct all your decisions and actions. And the result is weary and heavy laden. But Jesus says that the good news of the gospel is that you can do life with me. Jesus says you can live the Christ-directed life. He says, let me rule on your heart, let me rule on the throne of your heart, and if you'll let me rule on the throne of your heart, let me direct all of your decisions and actions, and if you do, then I'll do life with you. Now you'll notice that this yoke has two places. The, many of us are trying to do the Christian life on our own. And we're weary and heavy laden. And Jesus says, don't do it by yourself. Let me in. Let me come into the center of your life. Put your trust in me. Receive me as Savior and Lord. And if you will, then I'll take the other spot in your yoke. And suddenly, when you take Jesus with you, Suddenly, when you take Jesus with you to work, yoked with him, now, now everything can be different. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, let me in. Have you? Have you let him into your life? Have you trusted him as Savior and Lord? If you haven't, won't you? And if you have, and what it means is that you're now yoked 
with Jesus. That you're not alone. And Jesus says, come to me. Let's do life together. Let me go to work with you on Monday. Let's do life together instead of alone. And if you will, if you'll do life with me, now there's two words in 1 Timothy 6, verse 2, that can be true of you. Yoked to Jesus, there's two words. They're right at the end of verse 2. You are now called a believer, and you are now called beloved. You know what that means? It means that if Jesus has moved into your life, and you're yoked with Jesus, it means that everything you do can be done by faith. That everything you do has a, a new dynamic, a new power, because Jesus has moved in to take up his place in the yoke with you. One of the best books I've ever read about work and vocation is by Oz Guinness, and it's called The Call. I highly recommend it. And in it, he says this, Calling is the truth that God calls us to himself so decisively that everything we are, everything we do, everything we have is invested with a special devotion, dynamism, and direction lived out as a response to his summons and service. That if you're a believer, your life and your work, blue collar, white collar, manager, managed, top of the business or the lowest position in the organization, wherever you are, you now have access by faith to the dynamic power that comes from Jesus Christ into your life that what's true of you is that you are yoked with Jesus and on Monday you go to work as a believer to receive moment by moment fresh power from him to do life never alone but always with him. And get this, Christian, you now have an identity. You are beloved. You're beloved. You know what that means? You'll never get to the bottom of it, but here's a starting point. It means, it means that what you do on Monday doesn't determine your identity. What you do on Monday is an expression of the identity you have in Christ. You now have been set free to work. Instead of working for an identity, you're now working from an identity. You're not working in order to earn God's love you're working because you have God's love. And that changes 
everything. Many of you, many of you go to work every day under the burden of trying through your work to make a name for yourself. You are trying to toenail your heart to the significance and security that comes by earning a living, moving up. But if you would toenail your heart to Jesus, if you would yoke yourself to Jesus, then he would say, I'll give you an identity. I'll give you an identity by grace. I'll say to you every morning when you wake up, you are my beloved. Let's go to work together. Not to earn my love, but because you have my love. Changes it all. So now I have this new dynamic. By faith, I'm joined to Jesus. And through Jesus, I now am called beloved. Now I'm in a position. I'm in a position every day to say, Jesus, good morning. It's Monday. Jesus, I come to you. It's Monday, and I put on the yoke with you. Let's go to work together. Monday, it's your day. Monday's the Lord's day too. So Jesus, let's do life together. Let me be yoked to you. Let me learn from you what you would be like if, if you were in my office, if you were in my shop, if you were, were doing what I'm doing with me. Show me what it's like. Let me live, not by trying harder, but let me live by believing believing that I'm joined to you and that I'm loved by you. Oh, Christian, you have access by faith to Jesus. Take him to work with you this week. Don't go it alone. Yoke yourself to Jesus and let him say to you every day, I love you, love you, I love you. Let's pray. Jesus, joined to you by faith, we have access to a fresh power. The power not of our own effort, but the power of your Holy Spirit. Joined to you by faith, we have a new identity. We're called beloved. Jesus, I pray that you would open hard hearts and deaf ears to, to be able to understand and believe the good news of the gospel. Have you? Do you hear Jesus' voice in your heart saying to you right now, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden? Won't you? Won't you come to Jesus and say to him, Jesus, I admit that I've sinned against you in many ways and I'm sorry. Jesus, I believe that you lived and died and rose again. Jesus, I commit to you as Savior and Lord. Let me be yoked to you. And Jesus, for every Christian here, I pray that each of us would, would receive by faith this new power to live life with you. And Lord, that you would help us here 
your voice saying, you're my beloved. You're my beloved. You are my beloved. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.